We're going to continue to worship this morning, but now through in and through God's Word. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 8, or look on a Bible app, or you can listen along as well. John chapter 8, and kids, there are outlines for you to fill in, or adults, but today I have lollipops. If you fill in your blanks, most of them, or you draw a picture of Mr. Trainer. Come on down afterwards for a lollipop. One, one note before Mindy reads. We are going to skip, in John 8, skip a much-loved scene. That of a woman caught in adultery and Jesus saying, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. You might see, if you're looking at a Bible, some brackets on your page or your screen which say, the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. And you might wonder, why does it say that? Well, we don't have the original parchment upon which the Apostle John wrote. We don't have that for any of the New Testament writers. But we have a vast, vast number of copies of those originals. And as we compare those copies, especially the earliest ones, we get a very accurate picture, a very accurate text, of what those New Testament writers actually wrote. And that's how we know this scene wasn't originally in John's Gospel. Now, it may very well have happened in Jesus' ministry, and maybe some well-meaning scribe said, I love that scene, it would fit perfectly here. I don't know why John didn't put it in. And so that scribe copied it in, and then it got copied and copied after that. But it was not part of John's original writing, so not part of Holy Scripture. Why do I say all that? Well, that fact that we can tell exactly really what John's original writing was should make us even more sure of our New Testaments, not less sure. And that's my point. The fact that we can tell with a very high degree of confidence what John originally wrote should make you more sure of your New Testament, not less sure. So Minnie's going to read our text today. We're going to jump in about halfway in the chapter. I want you to look for or listen for references to the word or words of Jesus or the truth about Jesus. Good morning. Welcome. I'm excited to read that the God's word to you. John 8, 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the words Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. 
You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. And of him you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him because but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word of the Lord. It must have been a concern, a real concern the Apostle John had in his day. Maybe he wanted people to count the cost before coming to Jesus. Maybe he wanted to make sure those calling themselves Christians were genuinely believing. It must have been a concern John had for what we could call fickle faith. Inadequate faith. And twice already in this gospel, he's highlighted this concern in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 2, we are told many believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs, when they saw the powerful miracles Jesus Christ was doing. Many believed. But then we're told Jesus not, did not entrust himself to them, those believers. Something deficient about their faith, it seems. And then in John 6, Jesus miraculously feeds Thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, something no food truck could accomplish. And then many are following him. Many are following him. Jesus is on his way to celebrity status. And then he starts talking about eating his flesh 
and drinking his blood. And people think, he's talking about cannibalism? What is going on here? And we read, many, many of his disciples turned back. Many turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, it's possible to, to attend a church service or grow up in the church or even profess a kind of faith in Jesus Christ, but, but have a, what you might call a fickle faith and not a genuine faith. And so now John raises this concern in his gospel a third time. The setting is probably still the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Jesus said early in the chapter, I'm the light of the world. And we read in verse 30, many believed in him. Many believed in him. But we should ask, is this genuine faith? That's the concern of the passage Mindy read for us. A concern God has for you and me right now. God wants us to know that if our faith is somehow inadequate right now, if we have a merely fickle faith in Jesus in some way, He wants us to know that, that we might come to Jesus genuinely. Or, maybe you have a genuine faith in Jesus right now. God wants to fortify that this morning, to strengthen that, to reinforce that faith. Or, or maybe you feel somewhere in between those two camps. You believe, but you're struggling in your faith in Jesus. You're wrestling with doubt. God wants to meet you too. Maybe, maybe especially you. Maybe particularly for you, he wants to blow on what might seem like fading embers of faith and, and blow them into a new flame of knowing and enjoying Jesus Christ. God wants to meet us this morning, showing us the genuine faith in Jesus. It requires holding fast to truth about Jesus. That's my, my summary, you might say, of what, of what we're going to see. That genuine, lasting faith in Jesus, it requires holding fast to keep on clinging to the truth about Jesus Christ. And we see that here for three reasons. Three reasons why God wants us to keep holding fast the truth about Jesus. Reason number one, reason number one, the truth about Jesus is soul freeing. The truth about Jesus is first soul freeing. In verse 31, we pick it up. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, who had believed him, the people from verse 30, Jesus said to these believers, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So now we're shown the key difference, a key difference between a, what you might say, a fickle faith and a genuine faith. He says it's abiding in, remaining in, holding fast to my words. And the first reason to do that is in verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now those are very famous words of Jesus, aren't they? And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. At the CIA headquarters in Virginia, etched into the wall of the original 
building's main lobby are these very words. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I suppose because intelligence agencies find the truth and keep us free somehow. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. Jesus' hearers respond, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Which seems a little odd, this response, because, of course, as a people, they were enslaved in Egypt and currently under Roman rule. But, but they knew that as well. So they may be thinking of a kind of spiritual freedom here, and yet believing that spiritual freedom is because of their heritage. We are descendants of Abraham, so we need no liberation. Thank you very much. It's like growing up in the church all of your life, being here every Sunday, and so thinking because of that, hey, I've got no problem with God. God's got no problem with me. I have no need for freedom. I've been attending these services. Well, here's the problem Jesus highlights. Verse 34. Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now friends, that's all of us left to ourselves. Locate yourself in that verse, left to yourself. All of us are born into a sinful condition and continue in sin, left to ourselves. And so left to ourselves, we are slaves to sin. But Jesus says in verse 36, look, if the Son, if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. So here's where, here's where a genuine faith begins, not a fickle faith, a genuine faith. A genuine faith begins seeing your need for that kind of freedom. Something from outside of you, a rescue that comes from outside of you. Joshua and I are reading a book by a guy named Kenneth Van Hooser. He says something interesting. He says, our, our main paradigm as Americans, the, the main kind of mental picture we use to orient ourselves through life, that main paradigm or picture we have to make sense of life, he says, is, is wellness. Wellness. I think particularly as Californians. And, and who doesn't want wellness? Personally, I try to get enough sleep. I eat reasonably well. I, I, I try to. I try to exercise regularly because I want some physical wellness. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing in many ways. But Here's the author's point. He says, if, if wellness, if merely wellness is your primary paradigm for living, if that's the mental picture you use to make your way through life, then your gospel is, I can make myself well. You know, I follow this program. Or that program. I follow this diet or that diet. I, I embrace this exercise program or that exercise program. And I, I make myself well. Van Hooser says it's a form of self-salvation. Well, and I'm not putting down wellness again. But you get what I'm saying. When the mental picture 
the paradigm Jesus gives us here is very different. A different paradigm to work out of. A picture of slavery. Of freedom and slavery. It requires us to say, I cannot make myself well in the way I most need to be made well. Are you tracking with me? I cannot break these spiritual chains. I cannot make myself free, spiritually speaking. That's where genuine faith begins and continues with our own inability and Jesus' powerful ability. You see, there are many aspects to the work of Jesus Christ for us, like cleansing from sin, wrath, judgment being removed, guilt being covered, but another aspect involves what you could call redemption. Purchasing out of slavery. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, I came not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life, he said, to give my life as a, as a ransom for many. In effect, saying a, a purchase price. My life is a purchase price for many. Purchasing people out of slavery. Friends, that's where genuine faith begins and continues. Seeing that Jesus makes you not free from the presence of sin, not yet but free from the power of sin. Free from the power of sin. So let me ask you, what's your view of real freedom? Is real freedom to you doing whatever you want, whenever you want? I've been there. I understand that perspective. And it, it feels like, it feels like freedom. As one pastor put it, it's the sense of freedom of driving your car at 90 miles per hour off the edge of the Grand Canyon. There is a real sensation of freedom momentarily, but it doesn't end well. And Jesus offers to us true freedom. Listen, your creator knows what's best for you. The God who made you knows what's best for you. His design is wise and good for your sexuality, your gender, and the entirety of your life. Friends, true freedom, the freedom Jesus offers, is not doing whatever we want. It's the ability to do what He wants, and with that freedom, increasingly, what He wants becomes what we want. Genuine faith begins here. It requires holding fast to this soul-freeing truth about Jesus. That's reason number one. Reason number two. The truth about Jesus is heart revealing. Why hold fast? Well, because the truth about Jesus is heart revealing. Look now to verse 37 as Jesus continues. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I get that biologically. 23andMe says you're offspring of Abraham. Ancestry.com says you're offspring of Abraham. Yet, you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word, my word finds no place in you. Here's that theme again. And that's being said to those believers of verse 30 and 31. You're trying to kill me. 
because my word finds no place in you. And then Jesus explains. Look at verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 40. You seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Abraham's famous for believing God. Abraham's famous for trusting God. He's saying, you're not doing what Abraham did. Thank you. Instead, verse 40, you are doing the works your father did. This is very sobering. Jesus is saying their father is, in effect, the devil, the evil one, a powerful spiritual being who traffics only in lies, lies that kill. And he's saying, by reflect, by rejecting Jesus' word, they are reflecting that likeness. You know how different families have different certain family likenesses? My wife Sung has her father's nose, I think, and she just has the cutest, perfect little nose. I have the shape of my, my mother's mouth, and my daughter Abigail has the same kind of mouth shape. I have, I have the skinny legs of my dad. There are certain family likenesses. Well, here, two different family likenesses are being put before us. Jesus reflects his father, he says, because he speaks the truth. His hearers reflect a different likeness because they reject that truth. You see this even more clearly, perhaps, in summary, in verse 47. Verse 47. Whoever is of God, whoever belongs to God, hears the words of God. The reason why, notice, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So you will hear God's words, he said. You will hear them if you belong to God. You will reject God's word. You will reject the truth about Jesus if you do not yet belong to God. In other words, the, the hindrances to faith are more moral than intellectual, aren't they? It's heart revealing. Think about, think about the political conventions this year that, that I believe aren't going to happen in person, right? Normally, in a normally uh, in an election year, delegates from each political party will gather. Democrats gathering at the Democratic convention, Republicans gathering at the Republican convention. Now, if you were in attendance, you would not be able to peer into the hearts of those delegates and see their political allegiance. You couldn't just look into their hearts and see their political allegiance. So what do they do at these conventions? What do they do? They're holding up signs, right? It seems like everybody's got a sign. And if these were happening this year, the Democrats would be holding up a sign that says Biden and someone else. And Biden and Harris is my prediction. <laughs> and they'd be saying, we belong to Biden by holding up their sign. The Republicans would be holding up a sign that says Trump 
and Pence, and they'd be saying, we belong to Trump politically. Friends, what we do with Jesus' words is the sign we're holding up out of our hearts. What you do with the truth about Jesus Christ, this good news, that's the sign showing if you're currently belonging to God or not. This is why we must keep holding fast the words of Jesus Christ. Look, if you're sitting there realizing, you know what, I might have that fickle faith thing. That might be me. This is meant to challenge you. This is meant to be a flashing red light and a big warning sign that says, bridge out ahead, road closed, turn around, make a U-turn, do a 180. It's meant to cause you to take fickle faith with the utmost seriousness, friend, and to call you to a genuine faith right now, receiving the truth about Jesus Christ. And, and this should fortify us if we have a genuine faith in Jesus. This should reinforce our faith. It should be a steel rebar and a bit of concrete to our faith. Maybe, maybe you are there kind of struggling with doubt this morning. That's not, it's not uncommon. As author Oz Guinness has said, doubt is a halfway house. It's a halfway house. You don't have to feel bad about doubt. You just have to resolve it. So don't feel bad if you're in that halfway house. Just let God help you resolve it. He wants to help move you forward. I was thinking about how, how to illustrate this, and I thought, of, I thought of the Star Wars movies. In the Star Wars series, when someone is tempted to go to the dark side of the Force, you just, you just watch and you just, you're pulling for that character not to do it, right? Please, please stay in the light. Don't, don't go to the dark side of the Force. Why? Why do you do that? Because you know how dark the dark side is, don't you? You see it in Darth Vader's life, how he went from Anakin to Darth Vader. And you go, no, I don't want that to happen to you. You see, you see the darkness in the Emperor and the evil Empire there. And that's something of what the effect could be for us here. These words are like a glimpse into the dark side. This, this family likeness we don't want to reflect of the evil one. We want to show that we belong to God instead. It's meant to say, no, I'm going to flee to Jesus all the more right now. Lord, help me to abide in his words, to remain in his words, to keep holding fast. Because genuine faith in Jesus requires holding fast to the heart-revealing truth about Jesus. That's reason number two. One more. Reason number three. The truth about Jesus is life-giving. There's a third reason why we must continue, friends, holding fast. Why genuine faith, faith continues to hold fast. 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 <laughs> I'm having trouble. Holding fast the truth about Jesus because his truth is life-giving. Those who, who believed in verses 30 and 31, look what they say now in verse 48. 
In verse 48, they say, you, Jesus, have a demon. They're not doing well in their faith here, are they? <laughs> Jesus replies uh, quite the opposite. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, there it is again, if he keeps my word, he will never see death. If you keep, if you abide, if you hold fast to his words, you will, you will not see death. Now, he doesn't mean you will never die physically. It's just that physical death here is not his primary focus. Physical death here is not that big of a deal to Jesus. What he's referencing is how death, death will not be a, a gateway to judgment for you. Death will then be a gateway to life. Death will be, death will be a doorway to life eternal, his immediate presence. That's what he's talking about when he says you'll never see death. He's holding out to you and me a promise. If you believe his word, if you take to heart these promises, seek to apply and obey his word, death will be a doorway to life for you. This was helpful to me just this week. I, I was on a walk around my neighborhood. I encountered one of my neighbors, and he made a funny comment, not a funny comment, but an odd comment. He said, suddenly, uh, he said to me, hey, you're not going to catch COVID from me now. <laughs> I said, what? Turns out he had had the coronavirus, had been very, very sick. He said, I'm still recovering. I can't even work a full day right now. And when I heard this, a, a fear began to come over my heart. And then I read this verse. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste never see death. Jesus holds out to us life now and forever. Well, his hearers hear this and make a connection. Verse 53. Who? Who do you make yourself out to be? You claim some kind of power over death. Who do you think you are? Jesus answers verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What do you mean? You're not yet 50 years old. Abraham died 2,000 years before this. Jesus answers in verse 58. Look at verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones, large stones to throw at him to kill him. They immediately caught his point. He is claiming pre-existence, eternal pre-existence. He is hearkening back to the scene at the burning bush when the living God appeared to Moses. And Moses asked, who should I tell the Israelites is sending me to them here in Egypt? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I just exist. I have no beginning. I have no ending. I simply am. You want to know a name for who is sending you back to them, Moses? I'll tell you. I am sent you. And now Jesus is saying in John 8, you want to know why I claim that my words have life-giving power? Here's your answer. I am. I am that God of the Old Testament. I am that God who appeared to Moses 
at the burning bush. I am that God who spoke the universe into existence. I am that God who has taken on humanity and stands before you in the flesh. And friends, when God in the flesh, when God in the flesh promises you, if you keep my word, if you remain, hold fast to my word, you will never see death. You can take that promise to the bank. You can cash that check. God in the flesh has the ability to back up that claim. Let this encourage your faith. In that scene in John 6, when people think Jesus must be talking about cannibalism, and many turn back, Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away too? Do you remember Peter's response? Peter answers, to whom shall we go? Where else shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. But that's what genuine faith looks like for you and me. Where else shall we go, Lord? There's no one else to turn to but a risen Savior who died for my sins. You alone, the truth about you. That's where I find eternal life. Do you see, friends, how genuine faith in Jesus requires holding fast to the life-giving truth of Jesus. And so are you seeing John's concern for his day and God's concern for you and me? If you're seeing that again, maybe, maybe my faith is in the fickle category. When things are going well, I, I like the benefits of Jesus. A little bit of Jesus is comforting. A little bit of Jesus makes me feel good. But when things get hard, your faith will evaporate like that. If you're realizing that's you right now, come to Jesus believing. Come to Him genuinely, surrendering to Him, trusting only in Him. Come to Him for that true freedom. Come to Him to reflect the likeness of God and to belong to God. Come to Him that He might give you true life. I urge you to do so. But again, I think this is also here for current believers in Jesus to solidify your faith, to reinforce the genuineness of your faith, to encourage you right now, to help you hold fast to the truth about Jesus all the more, to help you keep abiding, remaining in, clinging to the soul-freeing, heart-revealing, life-giving truth about our Savior. Let those reasons reinforce your faith like that steel rebar in your soul. Maybe pick one of those reasons and meditate on it. Think about it. Feed on it. Until your heart feels strengthened and your faith is renewed. And friend, if your faith is wavering, again, as that can happen, talk to someone. Involve your pastors. Talk to someone in your home group. If you're a child or maybe a teen, talk to your parents. Genuine faith in Jesus, it requires holding fast. Holding fast these truths about Jesus Christ. Like the words we sang earlier, and that we're going to sing in a moment. How firm a foundation. How firm a foundation. Ye saints of the Lord, 
is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Let's pray together.